When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Roberts, and as always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Roberts, and here on the Hump Day edition of the Yard. Hope things are well wherever you are today. It's uh, it's a big week, man. It is. We got Vanderbilt this weekend. We're going to preview that on Friday. Today, we're going to kind of break down UAB and kind of talk about how things went. There's also some news from football, as uh, there is one Mississippi State wide receiver in the transfer portal. Could be another one. How about that? Tease you a little bit with that. So we're going to break about, talk, look at all that stuff and kind of talk about what happened around the league. Uh, we'll talk about a few other things. Got a great top ten list. You know, we kind of continue our journey through the evolution of rock music. Today we get to 70s and 80s. On Friday, be 90s in the 2000s. And uh, I've enjoyed the topic. I've enjoyed the dialogue with all of you. Many of you have reached out and kind of shared your experiences with me. It's also spawned some good conversation and some other good topics. I've had some people say, what if we did this? What if we did that? And uh, I I like how imaginative some of you guys are. And so, you know what, Steve? Hey, let's do this for our dads. Let's do this. And so it's cool. Appreciate you guys reaching out letting me know. And listen, I've I've met so many of you as of late at at Duty Noble Field. And that's the good thing about... You know, so many of us being able to go to ball games now is there have been many of you that have come up and, and said hello and that you enjoy the work, enjoy the show. It means a lot to me. It really does. It'll never not mean a lot to me. And I know we're not supposed to use a double negative, but um, I guess we'll combine them and make a positive. But uh, it's very, 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 very rewarding when you guys come up and say, hey, you know, Steve, I listen to the show and I bought the books. We subscribed to the website. We enjoy what you do for Mississippi State. You know, I got to say, I don't have many complaints in life. I really don't. But it means so much to me to be able to meet so many of you and find out that you have value or found some sense of value in, uh, in the work I've done over the years. It's, uh, it's insane to think about how long I've been doing this show. You know, we had over 2 million downloads last year. It's, it's ridiculous. 2 million. It's crazy. And so thanks to all of you, I'm going to continue to do it. And uh, I believe the show has grown by leaps and bounds. I told you guys before, when I first started doing this, it was a 25-minute show. And I remember sometimes I'd look at the clock and think, man, the show's dragging on. It had been 15 minutes. Now we're around an hour 20 most shows. And many of you have reached out and said, you know what, Steve, I love it. I can listen to half on the way to work and the other half on the way home from work. Some of you listen while you're at work. So... I uh, kind of enjoy you taking me to work with you. But I, listen, I'm still here more times than not, not wearing shoes. Just kind of enjoying life and uh, being footloose and fancy free. But I got a lot going on too. And uh, for those of you that don't know, I've recently wrapped up writing a book of poetry. And it's not just poetry. There's, uh, I guess there's 27 poems. And then there is a section. You know, those of you that uh, follow me on Facebook, you know this. I do the randoms, and I started out just kind of being silly, kind of begin my, kind of my random thoughts. You know, I even talked about the, 
you know, the score candy bar and things like that, little silly stuff that happens in life. And in time, it kind of transformed into something I hope is a little more inspirational. I do a lot of talking about recovery, and it's not just for people that uh, are suffering from chemical dependency or anything like that. It's it's just some things that I've learned in life and you know, nearly 30 years of being sober, and, and I share those things, and uh, that has resonated with many people. And I've had some people say, Steve, you should do a book of randoms. So I've got a section of randoms, kind of the best of the randoms over the course of the last couple of years, the ones that were kind of liked the most and shared the most. And then I've got a story about my dad in there. I, I wrote a short story about my dad shortly after he died. And it really kind of takes you through this bit of a journey where, you know, I was, uh, I was the product of a divorced family. And so, and that's really all I ever knew. You know, when I was a kid, I mean, my parents divorced. I was too young to remember that. And uh, even when I was a young kid, I would see a picture of the two of them together and it kind of blew my mind because I didn't, I never knew them as a unit. I always knew them. My dad lives here, my mom lives here. And so you grow up with that. And so it kind of goes through that aspect of it. You're kind of growing up and playing ball and that sort of stuff. And then I became a father myself and then my own son, my oldest son began to play ball and stuff. And so it kind of took me on this emotional journey. And so after my dad passed away, I kind of wrote that because I missed him. And I was just thinking about how glad I was that I had the opportunity, you know, to kind of make amends with him. You know, when he passed away, he didn't have to worry about me. And there were many times in my life that he did have to worry about me. He had invested a lot of anxiety in me because I wasn't always the best of kids. And a lot of that happened when I went off to college, you know. And so, so I'm grateful that I was able to give him the gift of knowing that uh, that he was in good shape, you know, his family would be in good shape, that we would continue to kind of stay in touch. And and uh, my baby sister, Reagan, is very special to me. I love all my sisters. I'm not trying to sit here and rank them or anything like that. But I've always felt maybe a sense of obligation to maybe be a little bit closer to her because, um, you know, she was daddy's girl. And uh, her name, she was born Anna Reagan, and my dad called her Reagan Annie just because that was his little pet name for her. And so... I've got a new book coming out, a book of poetry, and it's called Blooms of Oleander. And so I had Reagan Annie, my baby sister, had her you know, design the artwork for the cover. And it's just one of those things that just kind of hit me one day when I was kind of deciding, I've got all these poems laying around here. And, and listen, I probably got about a dozen more that I didn't use that maybe I wasn't quite ready to release or needed to kind of rework or whatever. But it just kind of hit me one day. I was like, you know, I just... I really want to do this with her. I want to give her the opportunity to kind of do something, and we'll always have this. And so in many ways, it's kind of a family project, even though I ran point on the whole thing. She designed the cover, and I gave her carte blanche. I just kind of gave her some directive. I said, you know, listen, I think that the cover, I think the background is black, and then you do whatever you want. And she did, and it's wonderful. And uh, I got the proof back on uh, Monday. And so we approved that and kind of sent that stuff in. And, and there's all these things, too, because I'm self-publishing this book, contrary to popular rebel belief. I haven't self-published any books. I have a publisher. But this time I wanted to do it myself because, number one, I didn't want to have to do, go out and pitch a book and have to deal with all this kind of stuff and, you know, deal with all these crazy editors and things like that. And so, uh, so I, I put this thing together myself. And, uh, listen, I don't expect it to be on the same level as Flim Flam or stark villains and alpha dogs i i don't i think there are a lot of people that will buy the book simply because i wrote it and i appreciate that but i think it also hopefully will kind of open some other doors for me but uh, it was really an opportunity to kind of challenge myself 
and also be creative. You know, poetry is kind of a first love of mine. I used to enjoy writing poetry and song lyrics, and I kind of lost that for a while. And so I thought maybe in between book cycles, maybe I can do this kind of stuff, just, you know, just to kind of sharpen us all a little bit. And so when I got all this together, I just thought, you know, how cool would it be one day to look back and say, you know what, this book did really well, and my sister designed the cover. And, uh, th- and again, that goes back to my dad, too. My sister, you know, her dream was to become an artist. And uh, she came to Mississippi State and took a bunch of art classes. And then, sadly, my dad died. And she made the adult decision uh, to move back home with her mom and to kind of see about her. And she finished up school there in Jackson. And so this was kind of me giving her that chance that maybe she didn't get otherwise. And so I don't say that to say anything nice or special about me. But this work is very special to me. It's not just because it's so personal to me, but it's also, too, it's, uh, it's given me a chance to kind of expand my horizons a little bit and then do something really cool with my baby sister. And so I hope you enjoy it. I'll have a release date for you very, very soon. And when I wrote all these poems, I had never any plans of publishing them. It was just, you know, some stuff that I did for myself or I did for other people. And, you know, a lot of it was just sounded, sounded like some cathartic-type journaling you know, for myself, you know, kind of dealing with some, some old hang-ups and that sort of stuff. And so I got that stuff done. It may not be your cup of tea, but uh, if you enjoyed the work I've done in the past, I think you'll like this too, even though it's much different. It's not a Mississippi State book per se. So uh, I'm eager for you guys to have the opportunity to buy it. Look forward to you guys sharing it with you. But I wanted to give you a little background to so see kind of understand kind of how all this came to be. And I, one of the biggest questions I already get is, Steve, uh, what's Oleander? The, the, type of the, book, the, the title of the book is Blooms of Oleander. I'm not going to belabor the point with you guys, but the Oleander, how I first learned of Oleander was the rock band Oleander. And I thought, that's an interesting name for a band. What is Oleander? Well, Oleander is a flower, and it's a you know, bloom. It kind of grows as a shrub, and they're beautiful or beautiful, vibrant blooms but they're also poisonous. And so, again, it's a good metaphor for toxic relationships, and I've had plenty of those, that what you're attracted to can be harmful for you. And I thought, you know, what a great metaphor. And so I, I said, one day I'm going to file that away, and I'm going to use that. And so now is the time. So Blooms of Oleander will be out sooner rather than later. There's your update on that. And listen, if you're looking for my other books, and, and they're still selling, thank you very much. Uh, you can go to alphadogsthebook.com, and you can get personalized copies of Alpha Dogs, Stark Villains, and Flim Flam. Uh, sign some Flim Flam this weekend. Had a couple book signings during Super Bulldog weekend, and uh, signed some Flim Flam. And also, we signed a lot of Stark Villains. I mean, that was the thing, too. You know, we, we have a lot of people say, I want the newest one. But some of you guys got Alpha Dogs for Christmas and then have come back to get Stark Villains. And so I think it's really cool, and I want to thank you for it. Appreciate all the support. But uh, I tell you, one of the things that I love about Super Bulldog Weekend, and I want to chase this rabbit trail along because we got to talk some baseball, is one of the great things for me is uh, I go down to the concourse to grab some peanuts uh, during a ball game. I usually get them on my way into the ballpark because I like having protein. I like having some things to snack on. And I'll be honest with you, I, li- I, like, to, I like to shell them myself. But I go down there to get peanuts when I get in line, it's like everybody else. And uh, there were so many people that kind of came up and, and spoke and, and kind of introduced themselves. And uh, it reminds me, too, that um, we're part of something that's really cool. You know, it's not just you know, a big weekend. You know, for, for most of us, it's a 365-day-a-year deal. 
you know, we're bulldogs all the time. And there are some people out there that are kind of fringe bulldogs, you know what I'm saying? It's like, well, yeah, I think I'm going to go to a game this year. And there are other of us that say, hey, hey, guys, I can't go out tonight. I can't do this because the Bulldogs are playing. Well, I'm kind of in the latter of those two categories. Yeah, that's one of the reasons I kind of gravitated to this, you know, this employment is I wanted to be able to cover Mississippi State. And so when we go out there and we, we have a chance to be around each other, walk through the lounge, and see so many people that we only see at ball games, it's, uh, it's so rewarding because it reminds me, you know what, no matter what goes on in my life, no matter how busy things get, no matter how crazy things get, and I've got all these conference calls, and there's always this, and there's always deadlines, and people that want this, and there's no shortage of people that want something from me. For a while there, for a few hours, I can kind of forget all that. I can go out there, and I can be around you guys, and uh, we can kind of unite behind a common goal, and that's to watch Mississippi State win. And so as I'm walking that concourse, and I see all these people – you know, they're all wearing my school colors. You know, they're all, they're all walking around excited about seeing our team play. And that's the great thing about sport is that the chances of all of us getting together in a bar and having a drink together are pretty slim. You know, the chances of all of us, you know, going to the movie theater and saying, hey, let's all go see this, pretty slim. But despite our interest in our socioeconomic background or our, our religious beliefs or our political leanings, we can set all that aside for just a little while. And it is a glorious thing. It is something that I never, ever, 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 ever take for granted. And I hope you don't either. All right. I went to Bulldog Burger Company on Thursday and had uh, lunch with the Honorable David H. Murray. Dave was in town for Super Bulldog Week. And as a matter of fact, he's uh, headed back uh, today. He'll be back here in a few weeks. But uh, Dave and I went to lunch. I think you can learn a lot by a person by what they order at Bulldog Burger Company. I didn't know this about Dave Murray, but Dave Murray, Dave ordered the Bulldog Burger with tater tots. Interesting combination. And he ate all the tater tots, which is, again, I tell you guys all the time about how big the portions are. Dave knocked out the Bulldog and the tater tots. And for a guy that thin, it's a pretty impressive feat. You ought to put his picture up on the wall or something. Because, you know, I got the BLT salad with ranch instead of the barbecue ranch, and I didn't finish it. And I got it. Listen, I got a little more room in the tank than Dave does. So, listen, you need to be excited about going to Bulldog Burger Company because you're going to get full, and you're going to get full with quality food. You're going to get great service, great prices. I love going in there. I I do. I I did long before they were sponsors for the show. And when they reached out and wanted to advertise, it was a no-brainer for me. I was like, this is an absolutely wonderful opportunity because this is a quality business. These are the kind of people you want to affiliate yourself with. I started to order the full of bologna. I'm going to do that next time. I think we're going, I think we're going to be back on Thursday. Talk to some guys in the media want to get together and have some lunch before Vanderbilt. I think we're going to do it on Thursday. So probably back in there Thursday. You need to get in there today. There are two locations to serve you right now. There is University Drive here in Start Vegas and then Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Two wonderful locations. And listen, my, my buddy Jim Chapman, uh, probably the best church league softball second baseman that I have ever known. Jim and I played together at a stream about his church for a few years there before Jim left us. And now Jim's back in Mississippi, and so am I. Interesting, you know. But anyway, uh, Jim shared a picture of the uh, new location 
that they're about to open there in central Mississippi. And uh, that stuff excites me, too. I know those people in central Mississippi are excited. Everybody in the Madison Ridgeland area are thinking, you know what, Bulldog Burger's coming to our town. And you know what? You're so lucky that it is. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, let's talk Mississippi State baseball. So it went pretty much as we expected it to go against UAB. And here's the thing, too. I, I, listen, I've got some friends of mine that are in a group text with me. And uh, I don't get to keep up with that during the game. I do a play-by-play. You guys know that uh, if you're a Jeans paid subscriber, and this is a free article. So, like, say for an example, if, like if, you're, you know, if you had a meeting or something or get church or dinner or whatever, and all of a sudden you see the score and say, oh, well, hey, state's up 7-1. to one. Well, how'd that happen? Well, you can go over to Jeans page, and I've got an article that basically gives you a play-by-play of every half inning. And so there's no other commentary. And you know, it's not like sometimes you get in the game threads and the game thread becomes 35 pages long and a lot of that content is other people talking. And so if you don't have time to sort through all that, you can just go to the game update, the live game updates on Gene's page for free and you can kind of see how things transpired. And so uh, it's so interesting kind of working through all that stuff. But, um, uh, but nevertheless, I've got some friends in that group text and it's so funny to go back in hindsight and read it because it's like they just hang on every pitch, man. It's like there's a couple guys in there. It's like I, I wonder if they're going to make it. You know, it's like we get behind in the ball game. And it's like, you know, that's the thing, too, is when you play some of these midweek teams, it's, you know, it's just like taking NyQuil. You know what I'm saying? It's like what I mean by that is I don't mean that it makes you sleepy. It's like I know when I take NyQuil that I just have to give it some time to work. You know, I can take it. Maybe I can fight through it for a while. But as right as rain and as sure as shooting, after I take NyQuil, pretty soon I'm going to sleep for a long time. It's the same thing with this Bulldog baseball team. You just got to give it time to work. And so we get, we get going early on and thinking, oh, man, it's not going to work out. When you're the number three team in the country or in some polls number two and you're playing a losing team, you're going to win the game. And listen, I, I know that on any given day, I, I understand it. But you just got to give it time to work. And it's so funny to kind of go back and read those things. And it's like, you know, you know, we, we, it's a 4-3 ball game. And next thing you know, we're, oh, I'm so done with all this. I don't understand this. And then next thing we break the game open. And it, it's like now we're talking about other stuff. You know, it's, it's crazy. You probably are involved in group texts like that yourself. Where you, you, know, you get those negative Nellies. And, and they love Mississippi State. Don't get me wrong. But it's like anytime something goes, you know, if, if we don't go out there and beat somebody 50 to nothing, you know, and then go out there and, uh, you know, sweat the tires on the school, on the uh, the team bus and, you know, take their uniforms from them or whatever and, you know, hang the mascot and effigy. I mean, if we don't do all that stuff, it's not a, it's not a win. You know, it's, well, we we got to play better than this. Relax. All right, so let's go through this if we can. Mikey Tepper gets a start, his second start of the year. And I guess Mikey's seventh appearance. And listen, he is a guy – you know, I guess out of Fort Mill, South Carolina, that we're expecting some big things from. This is a guy that has weekend potential as a starter. This is a guy can really whip that fastball around, too. And he's still learning, okay? He's had a couple of SEC appearances. They hadn't been great, but he'll get there. This is a guy that's got the raw materials to be a very good pitcher for Mississippi State. Really excited about him long term. So he comes out the first inning. Actually, does pretty well. Right out of the gate, we get a ground out. We do walk a guy. And then we force the guy at second. We do throw a wild pitch, but we get out of it with a line out right back to the pitcher. And uh, for Mikey, it was kind of eat him and smile because uh, that line drive was right back at him. 
good reflexes. He makes a grab there and walked off and kind of made it look cool. But I tell you, it's a tough deal. When you got, you know, a baseball coming back at you 95, 100 miles an hour and you're able to kind of get a glove on it and uh, and end the inning, it's a pretty cool deal. <laughs> so Rowdy comes out on the very first pitch and nearly hits a home run. They robbed a home run at the wall, a kind of a jump and catch right there at the wall, and the wind was kind of blowing out a little bit to right there. And I just said, you know, it's just a matter of time before we get to this kid. Watching him in warm-ups, he was not very impressive. Tanner Allen comes back and doubles down the line. And then Cam James doubles down the right field line. So now all of a sudden we've got one run already. Cam then takes third. That was his 14th stolen base of the year. Luke Hancock taps out to the pitcher. And uh, it's one of those things that's crazy. They had Cam hung up between home and third. And then the, the, the pitcher kind of panics there. He initially did the right thing. You know, you run right at the guy and then make him make a decision. And then you throw the baseball. You're running back towards the bag and throw the baseball. Well, he waited too late to do it, and Cam's able to get back in there. It was pretty crazy. I, I thought at live time, I thought he was out, and they called him safe, and we see the replay in the booth, and yeah, like he was safe. So now you got runners at first and third, and then Logan Tanner comes up, and the very first pitch he sees, he hits for a three run home run. Now, that's a byproduct of what happened with Cam. The pitcher was involved in that rundown and blew it. And so you could see the, the coaches from UAB kind of talking to him, trying to calm him down. They didn't. He goes out, tries to overthrow, and as a result, that fastball comes out flat. And then uh, Logan Tanner absolutely crushes it. Good to see him kind of get going, too. Makes it a 4 nothing ball game. Now, they get us out of the inning there. And so we think, okay, we're going to go ahead and skate right through this thing. Wrong. 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 Uh, so we change pitchers. And bring in Kate Smith, and he is another guy, too, that is, is SEC weekend material. Has had two really good outings, didn't have a great outing today. And you know what? That's part of his development. He'll be better for the experience. So he comes out. We walk the first guy on four pitches, give up a double to right field, and it was a good at bat. We, we actually get into a 2-1 count there, even it up, and then it works full, and the guy fouls off three pitches, and then finally – uh, doubles there. And so, yeah, listen, you know, those, those are guys that have been around a little while. Then we make an error at first. And then we get, a, we get a strikeout look, and you're thinking, okay, maybe we'll get out of this unscathed. We can get a ground ball and get out of this deal. We don't get the ground ball. We walk in a run. Then we give up a single. And then, that, that, you know, that's, it's it. You know, Chase Patrick comes in, kind of mitigates the damage. But the next thing you know, it's a 4-3 ball game. And that's when my group text was lit, right? Are we really going to lose to UAB? No, we're not. Just kind of stand down. It's the second inning. So we come back in a second, and State immediately responds. You know, we get DeBrule on with a walk, and Tanner Leggett walks, and Tanner's been playing really well. Uh, Leggett goes in at short early in this ball game because Lane Forsyth was feeling a little bit under the weather. Simple as that. Wasn't feeling real well. We tried to give it a go. They get out there. They pull him. We put Leggett in short, and I thought Tanner played pretty well there. It's good to have a glue guy like that. I'm going to write about that tomorrow. But um, but does a good job. So now we got runners at first and second, and then we run the double steal, and, which I love it when we do. And what's funny is they throw backside here. They throw backside here. They have no shot at all whatsoever. And then Rowdy flies out. Everybody tags and comes in. Now it's a 5-3 ball game. 
a little bit later in this deal, everybody's kind of moving around. T.A. gets hit by a pitch, and then you know Cam steals again. Uh, excuse me, Tanner steals a stolen base there. And then Cam James uh, grounds out, drives in a run. It's a 6-3 ball game. And then Luke Hancock gets going. Luke Hancock with a single through the right side, drives in a run. It's a 7-3 ball game. And then at this point, uh, you know, the group text is about, you know, what else is going on in the world? Hey, is Ole Miss losing? You know, that sort of stuff. And at the time, they were they were in a fight with Arkansas Little Rock. Uh, we get into the third, and then uh, Chase uh, Casey Hunt comes in. It's a little bit of a drama there, but we, we kind of get it all handled. We get a ground out and a line out. We get two quick outs. We get up a single, and then things kind of get a little bit hairy for us, but uh, he battles back and gets a K looking to get out of it. Uh, bottom third, we do add a run on a Scotty DeBrule single that drove in Kite McDonald. Kite McDonald getting his first college start. And he is one of those guys, too, that Chris Lamona said, you know, listen, a lot of times he's coming in late when the game is decided. We kind of wanted to see what does he do before the game is opened up? What does he do, you know, when we need to go make plays? When You know, when you're facing pitchers that are trying to get a win rather than guys who are just trying to get some work. And that's what happens sometimes when these lopsided wins. They bring in guys that need to get some work. And so, you know, Kai's out there swinging a pretty good bat. Kai McDonald is a doubles machine. I mean, it really is. Kind of excited about him, too. Mike Nemeth told me after the fall that he was a guy to watch. We bring in Cam Tuller, and Cam gets a 1-2-3 inning there in the fourth. And you, if you've noticed, Cam Tuller is getting a chance to pitch a lot more. It's because Cam Tuller, when he goes in, Cam Tuller gets people out. Uh, bottom of four, state tax on a couple more runs. We get a uh, Logan Tanner double to left center that drives in another run and makes it a 9-3 ball game. Then Josh Hatcher... Uh, rolls over to change, but pushes it to the right side that gives Luke Hancock a chance to score. Now it's a 10-3 game, and we're pretty much off to the races here, or so we thought. Well, we get into the fifth, and we bring in Spencer Price. And listen, I, I love Spencer Price. I do. What a great young man. He has battled back from some injuries and uh, is doing his best to play college baseball as long as he can. Didn't have a great outing tonight. Just didn't have it tonight. Gives up a single, hits a guy. Now you got runners on first and second. Tries to battle back. Gets a K swinging. So you're thinking, okay, now we're a pitch away from getting out of it. But, but we didn't. We give up a bomb to right field that made it a 10-6 ball game. And then Spence strikes out the next two hitters. It's crazy. He gives up three runs and strikes out the side. And so we're kind of up and down there. But, um, you know, Spencer Price is one of those guys, too. It's, it's easy to root for a guy like him after all that he's been through and the fact that he's battled and shown so much courage and commitment to this baseball program, you got to respect it. Even if he's not going out there getting the zeros up that we expect, when he does go out there, he competes at a high level. All right, so we get to the bottom of five, and this, this is when uh, State finally said, okay, enough of this, UAB. We'll see you. Uh, Cam James, again with a sack fly, drives in uh, another run. Scotty DeBrule scores there. We had you know, bases reloaded. Everybody tags on the play and moves up. They make a pitching change. And then Luke Hancock, again, we got Luke going. How about that? And uh, you'll be happy to know, too, Luke's beard is growing back in. He shaved the beard down there at Auburn and then went hitless last week. Now, all of a sudden, the beard's starting to fill back in. He's hitting baseball again. As I told him in postgame, hey, Luke, I think let's leave it alone. Okay. Uh, so, Luke gets a double, drives him two runs, makes it 13-6. Logan Tanner, again, Another big hit for him, another double, makes it 14-6. So, we're getting it going here, and it's some guys that 
maybe didn't do a lot here in the last week. And so we've always talked about you're never going to have all nine going at the same time. But to think that we've got Tanner going and Rowdy going, now all of a sudden we got Luke going, we got Logan Tanner going, and every so often you you got Lane Forsythe in there making some things happen, Brewin Skinner. You know, I think we may be playing the best we can offensively right now as we get ready to head to Vanderbilt. So we'll see. We bring in Kellum Clark, and he gets a single, drives in a run. He's had uh, two hits in his college career, and both of them have, have uh, drove in runs from Mississippi State, which made it 15-6. to six. And again, at that point, ball game was pretty much over. It's one of those things, too, we begin to look at this thing, too. We, we start putting this ball game away, and I know it gets frustrating, you know, when we pitch so many people, and you're like, oh, my gosh, why don't we just leave this guy in? Let's get this game over. you got to get some work for those guys. You can't trust guys on a weekend until you can see how they can handle the midweek. If they can't get UAB out, they're not going to get Alabama out. And so we've kind of got to work through that process. And, again, I know it's frustrating for fans, but some of these guys are basically – it's basically a glorified bullpen for them. So we get into the six and make a ton of changes. And we bring in Stone Simmons, who at times is kind of an unheralded uh, member of this bullpen. And Stone comes out and does a good job for us. And, listen, he's been up and down at times, but he pitched really well on uh, Tuesday. Gets a K-swing in, gets a ground out, another ground out, and, and just really kind of made efficient work of his inning of work. And, again, I think it gives him a chance to come back and play. We don't do anything there in the bottom of six. Uh, UAB in the seventh does scratch a cough across a run uh, to make it 15-7. to seven. But, uh, you know, it's one of those things you bring in um, – you, you start working through these guys and you start thinking, okay, who hadn't pitched in a while? And that's what happens. Who hadn't pitched? Well, we need to get this guy some work. This guy hadn't pitched. And uh, we brought in Johnson here. You know, and he's a guy that's uh, pitched on the weekends for us. And, and, and listen, kind of had some bad luck here. He gets a hit by pitch on a guy on an 0-2 pitch. He just had a breaking ball that got away from him. And then he gives up a single. And then he battles back. We get a ground ball. Have a chance to get a double play. This wasn't hit quite hard enough. And then we get a fly out to left that allowed them to score on a sack fly. I'm not the least bit worried about Preston Johnson. I'm not. So bottom of seven, we get back get back to it. And, um, you know, we, we move some people around. It's a one, two, three inning, though. Because, you, again, you've got mainly mainly your reserve guys in there. You're just trying to let them – you're not necessarily trying to shorten the game. You're just trying to let those guys get some work. Uh, top of eight, again, we move some guys around. Carl Kessler comes in and gets a, gets a strikeout swinging, gives up a single – and then we get a force out on a play and um, another K. And so, again, this is a guy we're going to need at some point. You know, we're going to need some of these guys to win a regional. It's important to remember that, too. We're, we're always – you know, we can't just leave guys on the shelf. And speaking of being on the shelf, uh, Zachary Lovett's been down for a couple of weeks, expected him to kind of work back into shape. All right, bottom of eight. Again, State puts a few more runs on the board. But, again, it's a lot of these younger guys. Brad Cumbus comes in and rips a double down the line, then goes to third on a wild pitch. DeBrule singles, just kind of slapped it out there. Really a great job of hitting, takes the ball away, doesn't try to pull it, doesn't try to do too much, just kind of dumps it in there in the, in the left center, drives in Brad. And then Tanner Leggett hits a home run, and he's gotten close a couple times. I had a chance to see Tanner play uh, this summer down in Meridian. I had a chance to kind of meet him and spend some time with him. And, man, what a likable young man. I mean, really, really is. And, and watching him play, you can tell what uh, you know, playing for Mississippi State means to him. 
He's a Mississippi guy. He understands the rivalry, and he, and he puts good swings on the baseball. It's like, even when he gets out, I mean, they're usually loud outs. He's a guy that generally puts the ball in play and uh, does some good things. He can put the ball on the ground and, and then has the speed to beat it out. I like his makeup, and as I mentioned to Chris Lamonis, I believe in the two years he's been here, he's played five different positions, left, right, third, short, second. You need guys like that in your lineup. You've got to have some guys that have some flexibility and versatility as far as positioning on defense. And that's what Tanner Leggett brings you. And then all of a sudden, too, he's not just a late-inning defensive replacement. This is the guy now that's kind of creating some offense for you. He gets a two-run bomb to make it 18-7. to seven. A little bit later, we tack on another run uh, as Davis Metch drives in Drew McGowan to make it 19-7. to seven. So we get down into the uh, to the ninth, bringing a bunch of guys to again, kind of emptying the bench out to kind of make sure that uh, we get playing time. And it's so important, and I'm so glad Chris does this. You know, when the game is over, rather than run the risk of somebody getting injured. And listen, if you've got a guy like Luke Hancock, like Luke had a tough week last week, probably best to leave him in, let him get some abs, right? Let him see some live pitching. And Luke responded, had a good game. Uh, hopefully we've kind of got him reset. He said he spent some time with Joe, Jay Gotro in practice, kind of making sure that he was leveling things off. Admitted that he was kind of getting under some things. I thought he was dropping his shoulder dust a little bit over the weekend, maybe trying to do a little too much. But Luke's a team guy, man. He is. And Luke's going to figure it out. Luke's a, Luke's a hitter, man. Luke is a killer. I'm an absolute monster. And so to see him going, it, it's a good thing. But, again, a lot of these guys – uh, kind of in the lineup late, you know, were guys that uh, were kind of working through getting some playing time. But I'm so glad Chris does that because you got to reward those guys for working hard in practice. And Chris has been so liberal in his substitutions this year. When the game is in hand, he's allowed some of those guys to come in there and get some, you know, get get a chance to get some abs. It's not just okay. Let me put a guy in the ninth inning in a 15 nothing ball game, and just so we can say we did. You know, these are guys that we're preparing for the future. And listen, who knows when we're going to need some of these guys in a regional or a super regional. When we have a, you know, a pinch hitting situation and we're going to need you to get up there and get a play for it, make a play for us. And if you haven't been in a game for two months, it's impossible for that to happen. We're just trying to get lucky. So we're managing for the end of the year now. We're, we're, we're sowing the seeds now that we hope to reap later. And so we get into uh, in that top of ninth inning. And again, we bring in um, – Eric Sarantola, one of the highlights of the night for me, man. I mean, really, I'm an Eric Sarantola fan, and I understand the, the fan frustration. I understand Coach Foxhall and Chris Lamontis' frustration because here's the bottom line is, is and Chris is at best, he's trying to figure some things out. We're trying to win ball games, So we can't lose the ball game while he's figuring these things out. He's had some relief appearances, and if you saw the night, he came out. I think he worked exclusively from the stretch, and I think that works better for him. He was dominant in that ninth inning. It was a lot of fun. The fans that stayed around, and I love all of you that did. I mean, I love all of you anyway, but the ones of you that did, I love you even more. But Eric comes in there and is throwing absolute gas. Throws 97 and then 98, gives up a couple fouls, and then drops an absolute Uncle Charlie, bend your knees in your face, go grab a seat, breaking ball. Loved it. Comes back. You know the next guy's thinking, okay, I'm gonna get the, I'm gonna get the uh, I'm gonna get the cheese, and he does. He takes a strike, swing and strike, and then Eric tries to get him to chase a couple, and then 
drops another 12 to 6 breaking ball in there. I mean, just like he walked up there and threw it underhanded. It was tremendous. And it's not fair when a guy can go from 98 to 83 from the same arm slot. It's just not fair. That's a 15-mile-an-hour differential. Out of the same arm slot, with the same arm speed, and the fact that he's in a stretch, he's able to hide the ball a little bit more. And so you're not able to kind of jump on that curveball. You're not able to see it out of his hand as quickly as you would be. It's phenomenal. So they bring in another pinch hitter, and I thought, how fair is this to bring this kid in? I know you want to get him an A.B., He's got no chance. I mean, a guy coming in cold off the bench, and then everybody's thinking fastball, fastball. Eric does a change, gets a swing and miss, does a change, gets a swing and miss, does fastball, fouls it back, and then drops Uncle Charlie in for his third visit of the inning. And it was beautiful. Eric Sarantola looked like the guy we were told he was in the fall. Now, does that mean I'm ready to put him back on Sunday? You know, I don't know if I'm ready to go that far. You know, maybe his home is best out of the bullpen. Maybe he's a guy that doesn't need this all this advanced time to kind of work himself up emotionally. Maybe it's better for Eric to find out on game day, hey, Eric, go get your glove and go warm up. You're going to throw here in a couple innings. Maybe that's better for him. You know, there are a lot of people out there that, you know, if you tell them ahead of time, you think, okay, well, I need some mental reps. You know, I need a couple of days to kind of wrap my mind around this, kind of do some advanced scouting and things like that. Maybe that really doesn't work for Eric. But I know this. I know that he looked absolutely electric, absolutely electric on Tuesday. And I'm really happy for him. And I do hope he gets some better opportunities. And that's a thing on the weekend. Sometimes we're going to need some guys perhaps to give us an inning or two. But when you see that big six five and a half, six six joker getting downhill on you, throwing 98 miles an hour at your thigh, and you, and you can't do anything with it. And it's like watching some of these guys swing at these fastballs at the ladders. It's almost comical. Because you think to yourself, listen, little guy, you couldn't do anything with that pitch if you hit it. You know, what are you swinging at? But they can't lay off that elevated fastball because Eric's fastball has such a rising action to it. And so I thought it was a great step forward. I really hope Eric is figuring some things out because we're going to need this guy to go get outs for us to get to Omaha. I know some of our fans are like, oh, Steve, nope, we're done, we're done, we're done. That's just not how baseball works. You can't just say, okay, we'll go put that guy, let him go sit out there in the bullpen, throw BP on uh, Tuesdays for us. It's not how it works. This is a guy that has major league baseball potential. And we're going to look up in a couple years and we'll be like, oh, my gosh. Man, I wish he'd have been able to do this at Mississippi State. Well, hopefully he can in these last couple months that we got him. That's right. We're only looking a couple months. It's going to be here before you know it. We got to get that kid ready, man. We do. And hopefully we can figure it out. And, again, maybe bring him coming out of the pen, throwing out of the stretch, not having time to overthink the situation. Maybe that's the currency for him. And I hope it is. There's, not, there's a lot of great kids on this team, Eric Sarantola among the very best. You want that guy on your team, but you want him to be successful. And listen, we can't, we can't trade Mississippi State success for your development. You know, we've got to be able to develop you while we're being successful because at the end of the day, nobody's bigger than the team. But it was a great night for Eric Sarantola, and I think everybody involved and everybody in attendance said, you know what, hey, this is the guy we expected to see. So maybe we're, we're heading in the right direction. All right, let's talk top 10 list brought to you by the fine folks at johnnypacker.com. 
Uh, I've shared with you guys, too, that uh, I've got multiple people just every single day. Somebody's reaching out either on Twitter or on Facebook since we've started doing this ad. And it's one of those ladder of awareness type things. Like you first hear it and it's like, oh, there's a new sponsor for the top 10 list. And then the next time you hear it, you say, what is, what is he saying? Johnny Packer? Yeah, John, johnnypacker.com. Oh, oh, what's a sunglass vendor? Every day over the course of the last week or so, I've had at least one person message me and say, hey, Steve, what's that sunglass company you're working with? johnnypacker.com. Go check them out today. They, they tell me their, web, their website traffic is way up because of you guys. Because you guys understand you're going to be taking that, uh, that vacation soon. And you want to look cool. And you don't need those little cheap gas station glasses. These are well-constructed glasses that are going to last you. As I've shared with you guys, uh, my 29-year-old significant other will tell you they are the most comfortable sunglasses she's ever had. Ran a race with them on Saturday. Didn't leave her face. Big believer in a Johnny Packer brand. Another cool thing about johnnypacker.com is a... Hi, Bulldog fans. Our friends from Tecovis want to remind you that uh, it's festival season. It's concert season. It's sundress season. Yes, it is. And you know you need some nice boots to go along with every bit of that. And Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western wear. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and so much more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a very time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comforts. No break-in period. You know how tough that can be with a brand new pair of boots. You can put these bad boys on and ride that ride with a smile. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with the same level of style. So stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary beverage or two, shop the new styles, the smell of fresh leather, and a friendly staff are always at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it to a store, visit Tecovas. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges shipped right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Actress Katherine Heigl, who's helped save over 16,000 dogs through her personal foundation, says they're seeing more issues than ever with dogs' joints, odors, and their health than ever before. After doing a ton of research, she feels there's one place we can all look to improve our dog's health, their food. What she's discovered is that many dog foods are made in a way they can actually create toxins that could possibly be wrecking our dog's health. And that's true for many of the premium brands as well. Fortunately, she's found that just by adding a few special superfoods to her dog's food, she saw huge transformations in their health. She's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how any of us can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their dog's health. I've got five dogs. I do. I love them. I spend most of my time with them. In fact, Mojo, my mama blue healer, has helped me write six and a half books now. I want her to be as healthy and happy as possible. So if you feel like you do about your dogs the same way I do, let me encourage you to go to badlandsfood.com forward slash boneyard and watch Catherine's video right now. And again, that's badlandsfood.com forward slash 
Boneyard. Be sure and check it out and make sure your pet is happier and healthier than ever. Portion of every purchase goes directly to the Cystic Vibrosis Foundation. John Packer himself is a guy that has lived with CF his entire life. So this is not just a you know for-profit type business. This is a place that uh, is going to do some great things and try to help other people that are dealing with this dreaded disease. It's brutal, man. It's very, very, very disheartening to see how some people have to live that have CF. So if you're looking for sunglasses this spring and summer, look no further than johnnypacker.com. Hollywood style with the golden triangle flare. Again, johnnypacker.com. Okay, so I, I share with you guys, got a great list, and uh, we're going to devote the whole week to it. I appreciated your comments about our 50s and 60s, you know, the, the bands that shaped rock and roll. There were a couple people who said, hey, Steve, you kind of left this one off or this one off. But it wasn't much of it. Most people were like, you know, Steve, I can't really argue with your list, but I would have liked to have seen this band or this band. You know, but it hadn't been these wholesale things. And I believe the 70s and 80s list is similar. Now, again, I'm telling you, I'm not ranking the bands. I'm just mentioning the bands that I think the the 10 bands that really shaped rock and roll. And I'm going to give you some reasons behind it. And there are some other bands I didn't mention in the top 10 but I still want to mention them a little bit later in the list. And so, again, many of these are kind of chronological rather than of importance. I mentioned on the show uh, Monday, this is a band that actually started in the 60s but kind of found their heyday in the 70s, and it's Led Zeppelin. You know, Led Zeppelin was this mysterious band, and there was, there was like Jimmy Page had this fascination with the occult, and they wrote such uh, poetic but cryptic-type lyrics that it kind of became fantastical. It's one of those things you look at and say like, well, you know, this is not exactly what I'm used to. It's not as straightforward as what I'm used to, but it's beautiful. It's poetry. Robert Plant sings uh, so wonderfully. And that's one of the things that I think Robert Plant did that kind of made rock music different is, you know, before you had a lot of people sang some of these two and three part harmonies and stuff but you didn't have that dynamic singer with that incredible range and I believe I'm not mistaken Robert Plant has a five octave voice I believe that's correct and so things really changed in rock music because now we didn't just have a guy out there kind of singing the words Robert Plant kind of became the consummate performer Uh, You know, Mick Jagger, a tremendous front man doesn't have the vocal chops as Robert Plant and so it's like he took what Mick did and took it to another level. You know, the Beatles, great songwriters, both music and lyrics. I can't say that any of those guys are operatic like Robert Plant. You know, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, good vocalist, but not at Robert Plant's level. Another British band that I believe um, really kind of the godfathers of heavy metal is Black Sabbath. And of course, they spawned, uh, you know, Ozzy Osbourne. You know, Geisha Butler, those guys. I mean, you go through the list there. You know, Tommy Ami. It's, it's, it's incredible what they've done. Oh, and let me back up a second. Our Led Zeppelin song for the Spotify list is rock and roll. Of course it is. Uh, Black Sabbath, though, they again kind of took some of what Led Zeppelin did, and maybe we can blame the British for all this, but they, they were really kind of playing up the dark side of things, which appealed to people that were somewhat disenfranchised by society. And so all of a sudden, these people had a soundtrack. 
you know, all these people that felt like, you know what, I don't belong here. I'm not one of the cool kids. I'm not in the popular group. Uh, you know, I don't have clean clothes all the time. I don't, I'm not a guy that has a car. You know, I have to work for everything I have, and I've got all these problems. Well, those people kind of identified with Black Sabbath because Black Sabbath gave them a bit of an escape. And, of course, uh, one of the greatest voices of heavy metal, Ozzy Osbourne, one of the greatest songwriters. I could have gone a lot of ways with this one. On Black Sabbath, we're going paranoid. Let's go for paranoid, right, Ozzy? Number eight, Kiss. Now, Kiss didn't really hit their heyday to the late 70s, but one of the things that Kiss brought was theatrics to the show. Now, they really took what Alice Cooper did and put it on steroids. Alice Cooper, of course, you know, Alice Cooper used to be the name of a band and eventually became the name of a character. But Kiss brought pyrotechnics. They brought all this theatrical stuff. You know, you had uh, Gene Simmons spitting blood and and, uh, blowing fire. It was ridiculous. You had Ace Fraley out there playing in front of us, you know, you know, just a wall of Marshall stacks on the guitar solo to shock me. You know, the the pickups would catch on fire. It was just so over the top. And so now all of a sudden, rather than having a bunch of people out there with their bangs in their face, kind of staring at their shoes, you know, Kiss made it more of a performance art. And listen, there are some great Kiss songs, but there's also a lot of pretty thin Kiss songs. And Kiss kind of gets off by putting it off on putting it on live. And so I think because of the, the success that Kiss had in the late 70s and early 80s, that really spawned what happened in the 80s with so many bands kind of focusing more on image. And they made some stylistic changes. And so you give Kiss a lot of credit for that because all of a sudden, you know, we quit just having we quit playing clubs and we're playing stadiums and it wasn't just okay, let's go plug it and play. You know, you were going to see the show. And man, what a show it was. Number seven on the list, one of my favorites of all time, it's Aerosmith. And I keep forgetting these dead gum songs. The number the eight the kiss the song for Kiss is rock and roll all night. All right, number seven is Aerosmith. And uh, I shared with you guys what I love about them. And so Steven Tyler was a guy, too. If you, if you listen to the earlier albums, and I love that first Aerosmith album. I do. I absolutely love that album. I love the song uh, One Way Street and, uh, you know, there's, you know, Move Out. And I think Walk the Dog is on that one, I think. But there are so many great songs on that album. But Steven Tyler had not found his voice yet. You know, he, he was a former drummer just kind of singing along because he was the oldest kid in the band. If you've ever read Walk This Way, and I have, if you hadn't, I encourage you to do so. You learn a lot about the band, how it all formed, and, and it's incredible that they're all still together. They, they've had some departures at times, but everybody reunites because Aerosmith is basically a gang. But, uh, you know, Steve Tyler began to kind of introduce this different vocal style. He wasn't Robert Plant by any stretch of imagination, and they wrote a lot of lyrics that were kind of you know double entendre. They had some things that were kind of silly, but also too uh, kind of sexy, and some things that uh, you know were kind of sophomoric. But uh, it responded; people responded well to that. And so, Steven Tyler, of course, really kind of brought in the screaming aspect uh, to singing. Of course, because he could be the melodic singer as well and and, and sing ballads. But he was a guy that had that incredible range and that that wild rasp in his voice. So we're going with Sweet Emotion on this one, which is a song about Joe Perry's ex-wife. Uh, you, know, you talk about things that nobody cares. You're wearing those things that nobody wears. He's speaking directly to Joe Perry's wife, who he absolutely despised. All right, number six, and, I, and this is one of those bands, too, 
that uh, I don't think gets enough credit, to be honest with you. It's heart. And here's the cool thing with heart is they weren't this carefully packaged corporate rock entity. It's not like somebody woke up one day and said, okay, listen, we need to have some women singers. Of course, you had Janis Joplin that kind of paved the way. And she's kind of an acquired taste for many. I, I get that. I don't know how anybody couldn't enjoy me and Bobby McGee, though. I mean, honestly, I, I don't. It, it is a wonderful song. But Heart showed that women could rock, too. And that was a little different time back in the 1970s. They had trouble booking gigs because they had women singers. But, man, how ultra-talented were Ann and Nancy Wilson. It's ridiculous to think about that in hindsight. Incredible songwriters, incredible guitar players. And then vocally, they could really bring it every single night. Incredible, incredible band. And again, this is a shift in rock music because it had been dominated kind of by testosterone-fueled, you know, angst, I guess you could say. Then Hart shows up, and they really kind of did some things that other people weren't doing. And really opened the door and paved the ways for a lot of other women rockers to go behind them. Uh, I love Heart. Uh, I love their music. Uh, I, I love everything that they have done. There's not a bad song in the catalog, in my opinion. There are some I like more than others. But on this one, we're going to go crazy on you. Because I think that song absolutely rocks. Number five, we're getting a little later in the 1970s. And uh, this, if, if we wanted to pick a band that we would say is the most important band of the late 70s, early 80s, there's no question it's Van Halen, without a doubt. David Lee Roth took a little bit of Robert Plant in his showmanship. He took a little bit of Steven Tyler in his vocal stylings, but he took the performance value to a completely different level. Van Halen didn't have the makeup. Van Halen didn't have all the pyrotechnics early on. But you had David Lee Roth out there doing the crescent kick and doing all kind of crazy stuff and wearing these outlandish outfits, and he could pull it off live. But what made Van Halen the, the greatest contributor to rock music is what Eddie Van Halen did. Alex Van Halen, great. Michael Anthony, great. Eddie Van Halen was a god. There's no doubt about it. Eddie Van Halen is a guy that changed rock music forever because he was a guy that learned how to play the knack. He was a guy that took soloing to a different level. And when he first, when it first came out, when, when Van Halen 1 came out, it blew people away because everybody's like, how is he doing that? What's happening here? And then everybody else began to mimic what Eddie Van Halen did. There are a lot of people that did a good, a good job or a lot of people that kind of you know, took Eddie's style and kind of made it their own. But listen, he's the innovator. He is the creator of it. Everybody else is kind of a pretender to the throne because Eddie Van Halen basically carved his own niche and then everybody else, every heavy metal, every rock band, everybody afterwards basically was copying Eddie Van Halen. And that's their contribution. So we're going to go running with the devil off Van Halen 1. Number four, Journey. Now, I could have gone with a couple other bands here, but I went with Journey, and here's why. Number one, Steve Perry, an incredible vocalist. But also, too, Journey began to make rock and roll music radio-friendly. I know some people despise that. 
But Black Sabbath wasn't getting a lot of airplay back in those days. You know, Led Zeppelin was getting some. But all of a sudden, you know, Journey comes along, and all of a sudden rock music is a little more commercial. And what I mean by that is, you know, it was accepted more by moms and dads. It was accepted more by little sisters and things like that. And people say, well, they're kind of sellouts. Well, yeah, maybe they were. They sold out a lot of arenas around the country, too, though. But Journey was one of those bands, too, that was kind of, they were kind of like a gateway band. All of a sudden, they hear it on the radio, and like, man, I like that. So Neil Sean's a great guitar player. Who's that singer? Steve Perry? And so all of a sudden, you go, you hear Journey, and you go see them, and all of a sudden, you know, they've got, you know, somebody else opening up that you're unfamiliar with. And so I think in many ways, Journey allowed rock music to be played in American households in a way that people were ready to receive it. I mean, if you if you go grab a Black Sabbath album and you bring it home or you bring home Loads Up on 4 and you, you see a little man out there, I mean, you know, you, your parents are thinking, what are you bringing in our house? Now, Journey wasn't the, uh, you know, they weren't the pretty boys that, that the late 80s guys were. But all the guys in Journey, Jonathan Cain, uh, Neil Sean, Steve Perry, all these guys, incredible musicians, incredible. So we get a little bit later in the 80s. We're going Motley Crue. And, and no surprise, right? If you know me, you know Motley Crue. And so Motley Crue, in many respects, changed the Sunset Strip. And every band that worth their salt didn't want to go to New York. They didn't want to go to Nashville. They didn't want to go to Seattle. They wanted to go play the Hollywood Strip. They wanted to go play the Sunset Strip. They wanted to go play at the Whiskey A Go-Go and Gazarazzi's, the Roxy, the Troubadour. That's what they wanted to do. Because everybody saw what Motley Crue did. And Motley, listen, in many respects, kind of took what Kiss did, right? They took the big show, wanted to do this crazy show. It's, it's louder, it's faster, it's stronger. Uh, you got crazier stuff. And every show got you know, more bombastic than the one before. But Motley also had some great songs. And again, I, speaking of songs, the song for Journey is Separate Ways. Roy will have this list together. I've I'm kind of gotten, I'm, I'm enjoying this so much, I'm kind of forgetting to do the list. So Motley, again, you know, Motley comes out on that very first tour, and they open for Ozzy. Then the next time they go back, they go on the Shout at the Devil tour, where they bring Rat with them. Well, then the next time they go out on the Theater Pain, you know, they're bringing other bands with them. They're bringing other guys. You know, I guess Rat did some dates with them. Great White did some dates with them. And then you get to Girls, Girls, Girls. White Snake goes out with them. So it's kind of like if you open for Motley, it was almost like your step into the, into the industry. All of a sudden, you were big time because you opened for Motley. And so you know, Nikki Six, I think, is the rock star. He is a rock star's star. And they've done a good, pretty good job managing things throughout the years. So, you know, Motley Cruz, the dirt comes out, and all of a sudden a new generation of fans wants to know more about them. Uh, Motley has had a really sad story. It's amazing that all four of those guys are still alive. And uh, if you've watched the dirt, you see some of those things they've gone through. But uh, all those guys have battled addiction. And, and, and if you know their backstory, you kind of say, well, you know what? I would wonder why not. Number two, and another band from the West Coast, but from up the road in the, uh, I guess really down the road, the guys who kind of despise the Hollywood scene, it's Metallica. Metallica, again, much like Eddie Van Halen and much like Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin, there was this shift in rock music, and they were the ones, that, they, they were the guys kind of moving the, the plates, if you understand what I'm saying, down, down in Oakland. Uh, it was a completely different deal 
they played harder and faster and more aggressive. Uh, the lyrics, in many respects, were a little more violent, a little angrier. Uh, James Hetfield's vocal style, he never at any point in his life has tried to carry a melody. He's just out there kind of barking it out. And so Metallica was one of these bands. All of a sudden, these people that said, you know, what are these pretty boys doing wearing their makeup? And all this is getting so homogenized. I mean, this is Revlon rock. What's happening with here? I just want something with a little more teeth in it. And so Metallica, in many respects, especially with their image, you know, kind of linked back to many of those British bands that came over, you know, like Black Sabbath. I mean, they just kind of put on their corduroy jeans and a, you know, a shirt when played. And that's kind of what Metallica did. Now, over, over time, Metallica became a lot more marketable as a band. So they kind of changed their image just a little bit. But what they did on that Kill 'Em All album, and, and at the early, in the beginning of that album, Dave Mustaine of Megadeth was the lead guitar player. And then they eventually uh, added Kirk Hammett from Exodus uh, to fill that role there. But um, it was just something completely different than we had seen before. And there were a lot of people out there that wanted to rock and they didn't want to listen to Poison. Okay, they didn't care about every rose has its thorn. They didn't go to shows to meet women. They went, they went to shows to vent. They went to shows to reconnect with the mothership. They went out there to kind of bang their heads and kind of alleviate some of the stress in their life. And so it, it opened up music to a completely different set of people. And there were a lot of people too that rejected the Hollywood sound there was this big rivalry that was the, the record sales did not support. A lot of people say, "Well, you know, I like the, you know, the the rock of New York." And outside of Anthrax, there really wasn't much that came out of New York that could compete with what was happening on the West Coast. I mean, that they were becoming multimillionaires on the West Coast, and then all the people on the East Coast were just kind of playing along. But the last band that I want to talk about, and I thought long and hard about this, and again, this is all kind of chronological. But it's Guns N' Roses. Now, it's not just because, oh my gosh, I did it again. The Molly Crew song we're going to put on is Looks a Kill and Metallica's For Whom the Bell Tolls. I've really, really messed that part of it up. Well, Guns N' Roses, we're going to be Welcome to the Jungle. Uh, so here's the thing with guns. Is guns had authenticity. You know, there were a lot of bands that, you know, because the bloated 80s heavy metal scene in many ways, kind of got disgusting. And this is coming from a guy that's got enough CDs uh, of 80s metal to start his own radio station. So, but what happened is it became this carbon copy, cookie-cutter crap that everything was kind of the same. Everybody was looking to be the next Motley, and everybody wanted to be, oh, well, okay, well, so Motley did this, so then there's Poison, and so then all of a sudden that became kind of like a softer version it's like, oh, so we're going to play this because we want more women at the shows. And then all of a sudden, then there's Tough, and then there's Britney Fox. And so it was like it got so watered down that people began to think, you know what, this is just not my thing. And there was also these people, too, that said, you know what, thrash metal is just too aggressive for me. I just want to have good rock and roll, and I'm just not able to find it anymore. And then Guns N' Roses came along. And so all of a sudden you realize these guys had the air of authenticity with them. These guys had credibility in the scene. These guys were the real deal. And they were exactly what rock music needed at the time. Because now all of a sudden you had these superstars and every guy in the band was a superstar. Even though you look at it now, the big three are Duff, Axe, One Slash. 
But when Steven Adler and Izzy were in the band, Izzy was my favorite guy initially. I thought he was so mysterious. But when Guns N' Roses hit Welcome to the Jungle, everything changed in music. Everything changed. Now all of a sudden, all those bands that went out there and wore the feather boas and the leopard skin pants and that sort of stuff, nope, that no longer appealed to any of us. We had found the, the genuine article. We had found the real deal. And then all of a sudden, a lot of those bands, you know, bands like Warrant, all of a sudden... They start releasing other albums, and everybody's wearing black leather, and everybody's kind of put their, you know, their zebra skin pants up. All that stuff changed. Guns N' Roses killed all of that. Guns N' Roses killed this whole fake image thing. And Guns N' Roses too, even though it was one of those things that didn't last for a whole long, a long time. Guns N' Roses saved rock and roll, and we need some saviors to come out now too, and we'll get to some of that in the show on Friday. But when Guns came back, all of a sudden, Guns N' Roses made a lot of people that maybe had given up on heavy metal and rock music a wake-up call and said, you know what, this is the real deal here. I want to hear more of this. And that's exactly what happened. A couple bands I didn't mention, and I know that I'll get messages about this. You know, Queen was one I didn't mention, and I'm a huge Queen fan. Uh, probably could have worked that in in some respects. But um, I'll be honest with you, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the Queen catalog that is really kind of radio rock, kind of like Journey. And I, and I felt, felt too, that, uh, you know, we did the Freddie Mercury thing here a while back. Freddie, the greatest showman, without a doubt. But I think, you know, Freddie is one of those guys, too, that uh, I, I don't know that the songwriting was quite as good as it should have been. And I don't blame him for that. I think a lot of that's on the record company. And, you know, once Freddie hit it big, if you've seen – Bohemian Rhapsody, you see how they were basically vultures and they sucked everything they could out of Freddie Mercury. But Queen was certainly a band that uh, I don't know if we shaped rock, but we shaped live performance with a guy like Freddie because he was so electric. I also did mention ACDC. One of the reasons that I didn't is because there's a lot of ACDC tracks that sound the same. And I know a lot of people are going to read that and say, Steve, you're wrong. Well, I'm really not. I mean, there's a lot of that. The tone with Angus is kind of pretty similar. But there's no doubt they're a legendary classic rock band. I didn't mention Foreigner. I considered them for the Journey spot, but I felt like Journey actually probably has a bigger catalog. And I didn't mention Bon Jovi. And uh, they're the ones that kind of took over MTV. I remember going to watch uh, Bon Jovi and Cinderella in the Mississippi Gulf Coast Coliseum. And I remember seeing how young the crowd had gotten. I was a young guy too, but there's, you know, there's kids in there. And so in many ways, you know, they kind of help rock get to a younger generation. But I think older people kind of rejected that. It's like, hey, when I go to a show, I don't want to be around. I want to be babysitting. I want to be around somebody else's eight, nine-year-old kids. And that's kind of what Bon Jovi did. And I don't necessarily think that was necessarily a healthy thing. All right, that's today's top ten list. If you have an idea for top ten list, reach out. Let me know. And on Friday, we'll wrap up this series. We'll do 90s and 2000s about bands that uh, help shape rock music. So there you go. That's your list for today. Let's talk a little bit about the transfer portal. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. Stand in man, Miss Kathy Brown, a lovely, talented Susie. I love them all. I saw Susie on Saturday, and I do admit she is lovelier now than she has been at any point. You need to get by there and see her. You do. Stan is always on top of his game. Every time I go in there, Stan's always uh, stands in there, not barking out orders, but Stan's leading. Stan's up there directing, you know, hey, we're doing this, we're doing that. And uh, 
not a more genuine guy in Starkville than Stan Ray, man. I'm saying you can go by there, and if, if Stan tells you something, you can borrow money against it. And, of course, Miss Kathy Brown is a tremendous buyer. Anything out there with the uh, Mississippi State logo on it, she's going to get it for you guys. Visit them today, and if you can't make it to town, let me encourage you, go to the World Wide Web right now. You go to campusbookmart.net. You need to get some new Mississippi State baseball jerseys because we're getting ready to go to Omaha. You need to get yourself some new Mississippi State merch for the house, for the office, for the pets, for the garden. Many of you are going to be out there doing some yard work. It's time to put up a state sign in your yard. Let's do it today. Visit campusbookmart.net, and by being a loyal boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. Use promo code BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson, and that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Okay, Javante Payton has entered the transfer portal. Now, Javante Payton, too, has already earned his degree, but it's not going to matter because uh, we expect the one-time transfer rule to clear here in the next uh, week or so. People say, well, Steve, I thought it already had. No, the Division I Council uh, advanced it. They, uh, they recommended to the membership to vote on it. We do expect it to pass without much discussion. But Javante Payton is leaving Mississippi State football. And we, expect, we expected some of this all along, not necessarily with Payton, but we knew once we got through spring practice, there will be some guys that say, you know what, I'm going to happy with my role on the team. I'm down the depth chart. I'm not going to be able to play much here, so I need to go somewhere else. That appears to be the case of Peyton. We wish him the best. There's no hard feelings. You get a short time in life to play ball. He has one year left of college eligibility, and he wants to have a chance to get on the field and showcase his talents in hopes of catching on with a pro football team next year. If that's what he feels that he needs to do, we want to support that decision. I'm a big Javante Payton fan. Wish him the absolute best. Wish it would have worked out better here. And my goodness, man, the kid had a huge game against LSU. And it wasn't long after that. He got a little bit banged up. And then he finally got back into good health. He got hurt again against Ole Miss. So, again, it just simply didn't work out for us. But, uh, you know, he's going to move on. And uh, there's no problem you know there's nothing out there kind of laying in the reeds or anything that's gonna say oh well well this happened or he was a bad kid there's none of that out there okay so uh, he's just kind of moving on now there is the possibility too and I'm going to mention this to you too because I know there's been some discussions that are ongoing but there was some talk here about a week ago that Jaquarius Spivey may consider going in the transfer portal and that may be a shock to you, but, you know, I understand he's had a pretty good camp, been up and down at times, had a great spring game. And my hope is that maybe that's going to be the impetus to say, you know what, maybe I need to ride this thing out a little bit. And so that's one we're watching. And ordinarily I wouldn't put these names out there uh, because you guys are like, well, you know, Steve, there's all these rumors out there. there sometimes the rumors get out there and maybe a kid is thinking about it. And then that's as far as it goes. Maybe he discusses it with a guy in a workout room or some guy hears it in a gym. Next thing you know, we're off to the races. There's some legitimacy to this one. Now, Spivey has not entered the portal, but there is some discussions that he may. And a lot of it's just about, hey, listen, I, you know, I want to play. You know, I came in here and I was recruited to be a tight end, so I put on the weight. Then you changed offenses and changed coaches, and I dropped the weight, and he looks like a million dollars right now. He looked great. Saturday and so I can understand yeah listen I've done the things that I'm supposed to do to get on the field here and if that's not going to happen I need to go somewhere else now I'm not sure that he would be a grad transfer but again it doesn't really matter 
if this one-time transfer rule uh, passes. I know Javante Payton is. So even if there is some type of delay, uh, Payton's going to be fine. So we're going to continue to monitor the Jaquarius Spivey situation. You can keep up with that over on jeanspage.com. We are basically having daily conversations with people just to kind of say, hey, what's going on here? What's going on with this? And sometimes we have only part of the facts, so we can't report that. But this Jaquarius Spivey thing is something that you need to kind of keep an eye on. I think you know, if you get through the next week to two, week or two, you're probably okay. Probably. But again, this is something that we have been preparing for. That once we got through spring and guys kind of saw what their roles were going to be, they may like to go somewhere else. So that's kind of where we stand right now. No new news on incoming guys as far as defensive backs. You know, we got a couple of uh, blue shirts out there, so we'll kind of see what state elects to do. But you're going to have a lot of guys go in the portal around the country once spring practice ends, not just here at Mississippi State. And so there's going to be some other guys out there that potentially could be options for the Bulldogs. So encourage you to kind of wait that out too. It could be a busy few weeks once this thing kind of happens and then they open up, uh, you know, official visits in June. Even though many of these guys will be ready to kind of make a call and get into a class somewhere, we'll see how things go. And I'll update you guys here on the show. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by your friend Brooks Bryan at Portico. Brooks, of course, a former Diamond Dog, did some great things for us here at Mississippi State. And uh, you're going to be proud to partner with Brooks. Brooks is one of those kind of people, too, that uh, he is not going to affiliate himself with things that are not of value. Brooks loves our community here in Starkville. That's why he's one of the developers of the Portico Residential uh, complex right there off Garrett Road. You say, Steve, where is it? I'm glad you asked. You come off 82 onto 12, and you take that right turn for the very first ride. That's how close it is. And that is a Pat Station Road, and then it becomes Garrett Road, and you cross over all West Point Road, and you're home. There's Portico right there. So Portico is 1.1 miles from campus. Going to have a, a house to, to fit any need, whether it be a your primary residence, an investment property, or perhaps your weekend getaway when you're coming up here to go to ball games. You say, you know what, Steve, we're just better off having our own place. That way I don't have to lug all this, you know, all this tailgate and stuff with me every time we go. We've got a place to go. And sometimes if we just want to go on a bit of a vacation, rather than go hit the roads, we'll go to our place in Stark. But a lot of people love having a place here. And maybe that's you. Maybe it's time that you made the call today. Only a couple of spots left in phase one and then they're going to be building more houses it's going to be 51 houses total in this development 18 in the first phase 33 in a second so you've already got some neighbors in place rather than letting them season a neighborhood you should be here too go ahead and make the call today give brooks a call 601-416-8075 again that's 601-416-8075 and Brooks has probably got some great stories about both Pat McMahon and Ron Polk that I'll tell you. Brooks happy to talk baseball. I'm glad Brooks is a friend of mine. You'll be glad he's a friend of yours. Make Portico your next move. So let's talk a little recruiting. Uh, to be honest with you, I, I expect things to slow down just a little bit. Now, one of the things that's going to help Mississippi State is uh, now that Tuesday's final spring practice is over, uh, they'll break down some film. They'll have a chance to kind of do some cut-ups. They'll review those with players. But, you know, many of your players are finishing up finals right now. So once we get through the next couple of weeks, some of those guys are going to go home. 
and then they're going to come back. They're going to roll for summer school, and they're going to get back to work. So in the meantime, your coaches are going to be recruiting, kind of prioritizing players and kind of saying, okay, we need to see this guy in camp. And now that we have camps opening up, we're going to have a chance to see some evaluations of some of these players. And there's a lot of guys out there, too, that they're not quite as big as they've listed themselves to be. They're not quite as fast as they've told people they are. And so they'll get a chance to prove it. And one of the things I love about camps is every year there's always somebody that emerges from the camp and we're thinking, oh, my gosh, we got to have this guy. That's the fun about all that is seeing the guys perform and seeing guys that maybe have always wanted that offer come to camp and earn it. That is a really, really cool thing. And I always get really excited to see it. So with all the defensive backs in the boat right now, I think we're pretty close to being done with defensive back class. I do expect Trent Singleton from Raymond High School, I expect him to be a Mississippi State Bulldog. It doesn't matter to me how many are committed right now. It doesn't matter how many other people are being considered. Trent Singleton will be a Mississippi State Bulldog. I will be absolutely shocked if he's not. I think it's simply a matter of time. Kamari Rogers, the guy we've talked about, considered by many to be the number one player in the state of Mississippi. I don't agree with that. I do think he is a top five player. I do think he is the best cover corner in the state. I'd like to see him get a little bit bigger. That's not to say that the weight room can't help him do that. He is kind of thinly framed, but he is an explosive player that understands how to play the football. He's also getting a, a ton of reps out there on a seven-on-seven. And to be honest with you, wide receivers and DBs that go play seven-on-seven against great competition, they get better because they understand how to elevate. They understand how to play man-to-man coverage. They understand how to beat man-to-man coverage. They understand all the skills necessary to get open. And a lot of people have told me Kamari Rogers has looked really good in seven-on-seven. Now, of course, you don't tackle on seven-on-seven, and so that's one of the drawbacks. You know, well, how's this guy going to do when he has to get downhill and a running back out and flat? I don't, I don't know. But I think Kamari Rogers is a guy, too. I think in the end it's going to boil down to probably three schools, Mississippi State, Miami, Ole Miss. And everybody that's close to him has said, you know, I don't understand what your confidence is in Ole Miss. Well, and I always say, well, I've actually got him crystal ball to Miami. And some other people say, you know what, Stevie's not going to go that far from home. I'm not so convinced about that, though. I'm not so convinced that he won't go out of state and go a little bit farther away from home. I know that he and his father are very close. I know that he and Corey Ellington are very close. I know that he would like to stay closer to home and be able to play on the big stages, but I don't think that that is going to be the be-all, end-all in his decision. I don't think he's going to wake up one day and say, you know what, I just want to stay close to home. If he does stay close to home, I think it's one of those things that just just happens that the school that he found where he can play – he feels like this happens to be closer to home. I think that's just kind of more of a happenstance and a requirement in his decision. So that's something to kind of watch, though. I, I think – I believe Kamari Rogers was a complete waste of time for Mississippi State a couple of weeks ago. And I don't mean that as a reflection of his ability. I just didn't think State had much of a chance to get him. I'm not so convinced now that it is a hopeless cause now. I'm also not projecting him as a Mississippi State lean – not projecting his guy's going to be in a Mississippi State class. But I do think that State does have a fighting chance in this thing now. He and his uh, dad were here over the weekend for Super Bulldog weekend. So we'll see how things go. Again, not trying to get your hopes up. I'm not trying to suggest that uh, something big's about to happen. 
I'm just telling you, the lines of communication are open. He is receptive. He and his dad both are in regular contact with Mississippi State. That's where it is today. That would probably wipe up your defensive back. You're going to take Trent Singleton. And if Kamari comes, you take him too. You take him too because you've got plenty of room. And you're going, to be, you're going to be losing some guys in the secondary this year, not to mention J.P. Purvis moving from safety to linebacker. So you've got some movement within the roster. That you've got to fill a void there, uh, there in the secondary. I've had a lot of people ask me about, well, Steve, what do you think about these big defensive tackles in the state of Mississippi? Well, Jaheim Otis, of course, is committed to Alabama. Talk about him actually playing offensive guard there. And maybe that's where he fits. You know, long-time LSU thought they had him. They'll continue to recruit him. But, I, but I'm told from back down home is that Jaheim Otis is going to go through the process and take some visits. But when Alabama turned it up on him and said, hey, we want you, he simply couldn't tell them no. And there are a lot of kids around the country in the same boat. Just can't tell them no. Now, LSU was a team that was on him hot and heavy early, and Ed Orgeron did a great job with him. But I'm told that the mess at LSU right now and all the things that are hanging over their head played a factor in the decision. So you know what? Maybe that's not the best situation. What if I go down there and they get put on major probation, and they're going to go on probation. We just don't know how bad it's going to be. And not to mention, I think a lot of people feel like LSU is waning a little bit. I'm not so sure Alabama wouldn't have beat LSU for the kid anyway. But I think all these issues at LSU only made it easier for Alabama to do so. Xavier Harris from Germantown really like his game. I, I think he's a future NFL guy too. I don't think that he is – I like Jaheim Otis a little bit more. And maybe it's because I went to Columbia High School. Maybe I'm biased for the hometown kid. I guess I'll own that. I think both of those guys have NFL potential. I think both of those guys will play professional football provided they stay healthy and work hard. Everything that I've heard as of late is Xavier Harris and Mississippi State are in regular contact, that he understands he is a priority to this class. He has some friends that are already up here. He has some other friends that are headed up here. I understand he and John Harris are close, and I understand when that whole little group there with Dakota and Stone Blanton and all those guys, that all those guys, that, that they know each other. And so we'll kind of see how things progress. But um, if I had to call it today, I'd say Xavier Harris is going to be a bulldog. That's how I feel today. I might feel differently tomorrow, but I don't think so. But I think if you could get him and Jaheim Otis, that's, uh, that's kind of like getting Fletcher Cox and Josh Boyd. You know what I'm saying? I think that's, that's how impactful those guys can play. I just don't think it's going to happen. When I begin to look at these defensive end prospects around the state, a lot of people are hollering R.J. Moss. R.J. Moss is a good player. Big worker, too. You just need to see how big he is. Need to see how big he is. Janoris Hobson, a guy that uh, I'm really high on, I've seen him in person. I didn't put a stopwatch on him, but I've seen him in person. I see this kid get open. I see this kid run away from people. I'm eager to see what he runs in camp, though. That's the best thing about these camps. And a lot of now that the camps are going to be opening up and the official visits are opening up, a lot of players and their parents are kind of slowing the process down a little bit. I think that's actually good for Mississippi State. Let's just slow it down a little bit. Because if they're in a hurry to commit and we don't have all our measurables yet, maybe that's a bad thing for us. We'll talk more about that on Friday. Listen, hope you guys have a great day today. And listen, I remind you too, I, these beautiful girls keep wearing the shirts at baseball and they get caught on TV. And I, I, I would like to think it's because of the shirt, but I, I know it's because they're beautiful. But the fact that these beautiful women and ladies are wearing the Stark Villain shirts on TV 
has spawned some new interest in those Starkville shirts. We're selling a bunch of them. Uh, matter of fact, Tyler Horker from the Ledger told me on Sunday, he goes, dude, I'm walking in. I'm seeing Stark Villain shirts everywhere. You need to join the cool kids too. Go to StarkVillains.com today. Order your shirts. I'm told that all sizes, all colors, all styles in stock, ready to ship. Again, that is StarkVillains.com. And even if it's made to order for you, like maybe they've, they've kind of depleted the stock, they're going to turn it around for you in 24, 48 hours. And if not, let me know. We'll get it taken care of for you. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.